minutes. Well, thank you, John, for that sermon bumper. Thank you, Graham and the worship team for worship this morning. Guys, it's so awesome having so many talented people here at West Bowles Church doing kingdom work. Well, good morning, uh, West Bowles Church, both um, online and in person this morning. I'm so glad that you are all here and tuning in online as well. So uh, my name is Ryan Long, and I'm the associate minister here at the church. I'm known as, uh, also known as the guy that's a little bit taller than Nathan Harrison. Anyway, I'm excited uh, and honored um, to be preaching today as we continue this sermon series titled Life Verses. Brian uh, Burns did a great job uh, preaching last week. I'm preaching today. We have, yeah, good job, yeah. And then next week, we've got Brad Brady, too. So we have a great all-star lineup here. Well, um, I'm a pretty social guy. Um, some may even call me an extrovert. So 2020 was a difficult year on me. Obviously, there were a lot you know, less social events and interactions and less travel and all those kinds of things. So last year was tough. And at times, my kids, uh, my younger kids last year, they even say things like, Daddy, who are you talking to? Why are you talking to yourself? I just like, sometimes I just need somebody to talk to, guys, all right? And that sometimes would just be me. So in light of that, I'm going to go through the verses that helped me get through COVID and lockdown and 2020 and quarantine, all right? So Nathan asked me to preach this morning and said it could be um, any life verse that is meaningful to me. So I immediately thought of the Lord's Prayer. It's also called Our Father, and it's in the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. And now, <clears throat> this passage took a newfound importance to me in 2020, and I would pray this every day, all day long. In fact, it sometimes would even become a, a bit of a, like a competition to see how many times I could pray this in one day. For me, it helped me get through uh, difficult times and helped me to stay focused on God, on others, and on his kingdom. It grounded me. It helped keep me centered on what's important. And sometimes I think we've all you know, I've heard this prayer a thousand times, it can sometimes, it can lose its power or its, its punch because it's so, it's so familiar. And at times it can just become words. Um, so today, we're going to go through how revolutionary and upside down this prayer is that Jesus taught his disciples to pray over 2,000 years ago. So, Anyway, but I would, I love to pray this prayer all the time, like when I'm driving or eating or even as I'm falling asleep. I've just noticed it helps calm, it calms me, but it also helps motivate me. He gave us an instruction manual and tells us the very words that we ought to pray. And this prayer shows us the heart of God. So yeah, he taught us. He trained us. He trained us how to pray. Now, training, okay, training is important in all areas of our lives. I uh, went backpacking uh, a couple of weeks ago at a, a place called Conundrum Pass near Aspen, and you know what? A little training 
may have helped me, all right? It may have helped me. Maybe as a 43-year-old man who hasn't gone backpacking in about a decade, um, I should have spent at least a few weeks getting ready for a 19-mile hike of hell. Anyway, also, my other bad idea was that what I packed may not have been the best idea. I had a 35-pound backpack. I had Pop-Tarts, pho, lasagna, s'mores, uh, popcorn. I mean, I had everything. So to say the least, I did fall apart kind of towards the end. I was about 1,000 yards away from like the finish line, basically. And uh, this is a little crazy, but my knee and my foot just stopped working. Like, it was just like, you know what? We're just kind of done. We're just kind of done with the day. So no joke for the last thousand yards, I had to give my backpack to my wife. She had to carry it. I had to grab a walking stick, and I basically just like, like just, like, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't move. Like, nothing would bend. My foot wouldn't do anything. I finished, though. I finished. Yeah, I felt good. Gosh, you know. Anyway, so obviously, oh, geez, I have a picture of what my knee and foot look like. Zoom in on my face a little bit. That right there is what, that's how miserable I was, you know? Without a working knee and a working foot, that's me right there, a little miserable. So obviously, uh, I didn't train for the hike. Well, Jesus, he trains us how to pray. He trains us for our life. He shows us and he tells us how we should pray. And this is a powerful prayer because it's the gospel in a nutshell. So let's read Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Wow, that is a lot to unpack right now, and we're going to fly through it. So, I mean, this is so amazing, and it's, and it's so familiar. I mean, we've all seen this, we've all read this before, but yet it's so complex and deep. I mean, this could be an eight-week series, and I'm going to cover it all right now in just three hours, no breaks, all right? We're going, to get th- we're going to get through this. Anyway, so I love this prayer, and I'm going to break it down, but I'm not going to break it down like bebop or rap it. We're going to basically go verse by verse, or better yet, at times, word for word. And if you notice right off the bat, there are three yours, okay? It's your name, your kingdom, your will, for us's, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. I love this prayer because it's so dynamic. It's about us, God, and others. So the first word is the pronoun our. We can't do this life alone. A lot of us at times we try, right? We get hurt or something happens and then we start building walls or we start pushing people out. Right? We think that maybe that's going to help or we're going to feel better or we're going to feel safer when we do that. But then guess what? We're all, we're left alone until nobody's left. So this life is not meant to be lived alone. We are communal beings and we need each other. When I compare how 
uh, the Columbine shootings affected us compared to COVID, it's totally different. Columbine, we came together, we suffered together, we met and we saw each other often. We were able to like hug each other and cry together and heal together. But for COVID, most of us, we were isolated or, or we were scared. We're on electronics all day long and we didn't have our coping skills and our normal routines. And a lot of us, at times, we got anxious and lonely. We had Zoom and text, but it's not the same. This is the most depression, anxiety, addiction, and relational issues inside both friend groups and families that I have ever seen in my entire life. We need each other, especially during difficult times. We need this. We need each other. When we say our, it connects us together. It brings us together because he is our father. Since we are all God's creation, his children, that makes us kind of all related in a way, right? I mean, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So I'm going to start in introducing Chelsea as my, well, this is my wife and my sister. And we'll just see how that goes, all right? We'll just see what people's responses are. They're like, what? I'm like, anyway, hope I get some fun reactions. But we're all related through God, our Father. So when we pray, we start with our. It's a shared sense of humanity and experience. Most of the world lives in a very communal and community-oriented way, but in the U.S., we're used to a little more individualistic way of life. We work, we come home, we shut the garage door. Our has lost its sense of importance. Our is important, and it should also, it should also compel us to treat everybody like brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters, but we should also treat each other like brothers and sisters, every single person, every single person in the whole world. And that is a big task, I know. But whether rich or poor, Republican, Democrat, you know, gay or heterosexual, black or white, we are to all love them like brothers and sisters, just as God loves them. God listens to the cries and the moans of all of us, of all of our souls, of all of his children, and how we treat each other, how we treat our parents or our kids or people that maybe they don't like us or how we, people with special needs or different races or religions or whatever, how we treat others of his own creation has a direct correlation on how we feel about or towards our creator. We've all been designed in his image. And what we often do is we, we divide ourselves. We rank each other, right? We convince ourselves how different we are or better or unalike we are. But, we all have a lot that connects us with all of humanity. We all have hurt, right, and pain and insecurities, addictions. We all have needs and we all want to be loved and we all have desires and we all have moments where we're feeling lonely and there's fear and we all experience that and we're all in this together. We are not that much different from one another. God calls us to see people as he sees them. That's the new humanity. We need to look past our differences and see our similarities. Our Father, our Father, and our uh, humanity connects us. And this is revolutionary, right? I mean, this is upside down. This is counterculture. In God's family, there are no outsiders. We are all members of one big God family, and we're all his children. His fingerprints, his designs are in us and all around us. We are his beloved. And each of us are uniquely made 
for a plan and a purpose. So when we see each other and treat each other like brothers and sisters, we are bringing what's up there down here. Word two. See, I wasn't joking. Father, our Father, in some places, the Greek text even retains the Aramaic word Jesus actually used when talking about his Father. It's the word one would use in a family setting, okay? Where we would use not the more distant word Father, but the more intimate word Dad. When I uh, play ping pong with my kids and I slam the ball in their face, I always say, Who's your daddy? All right? So, who's your daddy? God is our dad, and he's not that far away, but he's close, all right? He's connected. He's protective. He's not an unfeeling taskmaster of father, but daddy, as a child would call his dad. He's not a generic, uh, you know, faceless God. He's close. He's connected, and he's present. And when we reach out to him, he knows and can handle all of our concerns, all of our worries, all of our fears, and we need to be confident that he hears us and he longs for our eternal well-being. He even has the hairs on our heads number, numbered. Our dad will always be there for us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So remember that. When we trust and are close to our father, that's when we bring what's up there down here. Our Father in heaven, in heaven, God exists beyond this finite world we can see here. He always will and always will be. He is always around us and exists outside of time. I'm not sure about you, but that comforts me. No matter how crazy or difficult life struggles seem to be, no matter what we're going through, no matter how difficult things seem to be in the world, our Father in heaven knows the end and the beginning. He knows how everything is going to play out. He has a plan and a purpose and a reason and a season. He's infinitely above all and over all. The only things that are eternal are God's reign and Grey's Anatomy. All right, you know, because... 23 seasons later on that show, you know, it's like they have a paper clip that like saves some guy's life in the elevator. You know, it's like, come on, come up with a new storyline. But anyway, that's the only two things that are eternal. Just joking. This world is temporary. Everything we work so hard for in this life, it's going to disappear in the blink of an eye. Only what is for him and for his kingdom and, and done for others is going to last forever, forever. Sometimes we need to reprioritize our life to the things that are eternal and the things that matter to God. This prayer trains us, shows us what that looks like. Lately, parenting has been a little hard. I mean, it's not easy. You know, there's, there's always worry and, you know, there's like, fear about, you're just worried about your kids, and it, there's all this care and time and effort and concern, and I see them trying to figure life out and who they are and who they want to be, and parenting is tough, I know, at every phase and every age, but I have to remember, though, God loves them. He is their creator and father, and he protects and has a plan and a direction for them. I have to rest in knowing that and being comfortable of not knowing or being in control. 
I have to remember that he loves them more than I do. He, our God in heaven, will make everything right and bring everything together. For Abba, our, our daddy, will always be there for us. He's not some absent in some far off place. And actually, he might be even a lot closer than we think. But life is tough, and we have to remember that he is in control. I just had two friends uh, that were involved in the college group and the youth group years ago, and they just passed away in the last month. Uh, we know, I mean, life, life is tough, and we need, we need each other. So let's make sure that we reach out in times of need and sincerely ask how we are doing. People don't fake depression, they fake being okay. God in heaven, he cares about us. Let us care about each other deeply. When we care about each other, we bring what's up there, down here. Hallowed be your name. God's name is holy, it's righteous, it's perfect. Hallowed means understanding what you're talking about when you're talking about God. This is serious. This is the most wonderful and frightening reality that we could all imagine. Approach the idea of God, the name of God, the word of God with reverence, with awe, with respect and humility that's demanded and required. The holy God, the Alpha and the Omega, the one and only his name is special, it's perfect, it's to be respected and honored. He is the king. I can't believe I live a lot of my life without knowing that reality. His character and beauty can be seen in everything and everywhere. So when we realize how sovereign God is, we bring what's up there, down here. Your kingdom come, your will, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is my most famous, or not famous, this is my favorite and most convicting verse. We are to ask God to bring his kingdom to earth. And how does he do that? Through us. Through you and me, through you and I. Through us. His kingdom is brought here through us. I don't know about you, but most of the time, you know, I'm working on my own kingdom, you know, down here, whether it's my family or my house, my money or whatever it is. But God wants his kingdom to be present down here. The Western world idea of success is independence, education, money, and health. God's idea of success is his heavenly kingdom now for all to experience. God wants us to build and advance his kingdom. God's kingdom is about love and unity and justice and connection. <clears throat> when violence, wealth, or power, prestige are, are opposed, the kingdom flourishes. When we reach out to those in need, when we reach out to those that are oppressed, when we reach out to those without hope, then God's will is being done. His kingdom is coming down to earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> Notice, Jesus doesn't ask us to pray that we may get into heaven when we die. He doesn't say that. But that we bring heaven here while we are still alive. That's huge. The revolutionary call 
of the kingdom is to bring God's light to the most helpless, destitute, and needy. It's a model for how things ought to be here now. Heaven comes to us when the emergence of God's kingdom is complete. Then heaven will be all around us. He wants us to be busy down here, advancing his kingdom. So how is God going to advance his kingdom through us, through you, through me, through the church? In practical ways now. This good news should be a catalyst of change that is constantly at work, growing and transforming the world. By making him our king, we are subject to the king, placing our lives and resources at the king's disposal. Everything we have is from him and for for him. The kingdom is not a place or a system. It's a state of affairs when God is in charge. So we make what's up there come down here. We make things down here run the way they do up there. And we get to join him in that. How amazing is that? And bringing heaven here too often, at least for me, it's like, you know, my will or my choices or my my life, my money, my whatever it is, but it should be about him. And that'll direct or dictate my decisions. When we are actively advancing his kingdom, that's how we bring what's up there down here. Give us today our daily bread. Bah, I love to eat. Bah. Let's not even talk about that. I could go on for I love to eat. Anyway, I pretty much, I can't stop. I pretty much just eat every day. But anyway, give us today our daily breads. Very practical meaning is to give us today the food we need to survive. But in this prayer, bread not only means bread. This verse can be expanded, expanded beyond bread and food. It literally means everything that human life requires. Bread is a metaphor in scripture for provision, which is food, water, shelter, clothes, you name it. He wants us to be grateful for all of that that we, and to receive it with gratitude. I like the us and the our part of this verse. Give us today our daily bread. Just means give us today all that we really need. In a way, we live out of God's hands daily. And whenever we prayer, pray this Lord's prayer meaningfully, we ask God not only to meet our needs, but also the needs of everyone else in the world. Listen, this is huge. The bread we receive is also the bread we share. That is huge. That is upside down. That is revolutionary. Each of us, and as a church, need to truly think about how are we sharing? And you might be thinking, sharing what? I don't know, whatever we have. With whom? I don't know. Whomever's in need. There is enough of everything in the whole world for everybody to have plenty. Some of us maybe have too much, which means many will have not enough. And if somebody doesn't have enough to live on, it's not God's fault, it's our fault. This prayer weaves us together in a single human fabric of our, not mine. Nobody in heaven will be without, right? Nobody will be in need. Last month, we went down with West Bowles to feed the homeless. 
through Denver Dry Bones. And I have a picture here that I absolutely love. Uh, this is my son here and uh, a young homeless man on the street. To me, this is a picture of, of God's kingdom. My kids, not only feeding the hungry, but this homeless young gentleman was having our kids draw pictures on his jeans with a marker. No walls, no judgments, just sharing food, fun, and connecting their lives together. I like the word daily because it makes me think about how we need him every single day. We must recognize our daily dependence on God is the only way to live every day. By praying this verse, it makes it clear that we are the creature and he's the creator, that we are the needy and he is the provider. So recognizing our daily dependence on God is the only way to live each and every day. When we are thankful for what we have and we feel compared, uh, compelled to share with others, it's how we bring what's up there down here. And forgive us our debt as we also forgive our debtors. Other translations use the word, you know, trespasses or sins. We are essentially asking God for the forgiveness for the countless ways we have fallen away from him. We must realize first and foremost that we sin every day and that we need forgiveness. And the beauty of this is that God immediately and unconditionally forgives us. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Church, we know it's not the healthy that need the doctor, but the sick. But when it comes to the second part, you know, forgive our debtors, well, that's a different story, right? Because it's men, it's not just about us. We need to forgive just as God has forgiven us. Just as God's for forgiveness cost him dearly, to forgive others as God has forgiven can also be costly or difficult for us, right? Reconciliation. It's the goal of, of all of it. Sins are forgiven, hurts are healed, wrongs are righted. We cannot be reconciled to God as long as we are not willing to recon reconcile with our brothers and sisters who have wronged us. And this doesn't just happen overnight, right? It often takes time. We can say we forgive somebody, but did we really? It's a daily decision to forgive. Doing this sets not only them, but ourselves free. If we truly know we're forgiven, we will forgive others. He tells us and he shows us how we're to forgive. Forgiveness means that we're sorry for just for whatever we did and we're not going to do it anymore. When we fail to forgive others, that simply shows that we do not understand or really accept the gravity of our own forgiveness. Grace and forgiveness flows through us to others. We all have to realize that we all have fallen short of God and loving our neighbor well. C.S. Lewis wrote, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. But God expects that from us in light of the forgiveness that he's offered us. So we gotta stop for a moment, even just right now. Stop for a moment. Who do we need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? 
Who's that person? Who are those people? What are you holding on to? What's happened to you? Whether growing up or now or at work or with friends or family. God wants us to let it go. It's good for you. It's good for your relationship with God, your mental and physical health and well-being. By forgiving, we are released from our personal prisons so that we can move forward with our lives, with loving others well. We are holding on. All of us at times, we hold on to, you know, bitterness towards a spouse or an ex-spouse or a coworker, or sibling or towards even a whole church or church people or, you know, maybe a kid, a parent, a neighbor. We got to stop for a moment and think about who is it that we just can't seem to forgive. You know, it's, there's so many things. It could have just been a, a trivial disagreement or not inviting, get, being invited to a party. It could have been an unreasonable request or an unmet need or expectation or they hurt us or betrayed us or they cheated on us or they lied to us, whatever it is, that's who God is calling you, me, us to forgive. I have a powerful video from a trial that was almost two years ago involving a man who accidentally um, got shot and killed by this woman. And the man talking on the stand that you're going to see here in a second. He just had his brother killed, okay? The sobbing in the, accidentally killed too. The sobbing in the background is not only the woman he is hugging, but the judge presiding over the case. So here's a little video here. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but... Can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes.
Honestly, don't know if I could ever forgive anybody at that level. Um, but yet doing this, it sets not only them but ourselves free. If we truly know we are forgiven, we'll forgive others. And when we forgive others well, that's when we bring what's up there down here. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I remember Bob McPherson, one of our Southern Baptist pastors here at West Bowles Church years ago. And I mean, even on this stage right here, I remember him, you know, walking around and, you know, but he would share this verse and he would quote the scripture, the devil goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, you know. Jesus was tempted in every, every way, yet was without sin. And he knows the struggles that we go through. And we're all going to go through trials, right? We must not forget the devil is out to get us. Jesus said to Simon at the Last Supper, this is in Luke 22, 31 through 32, Simon, Simon, Satan asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. When we go through trials or we're tempted, we need to use them as opportunities for growth and to help others. We are to strengthen our brothers and sisters through action, through prayer, and through deeds. So when we pray for God to deliver us from the evil one, we're acknowledging that there's a battle, a war going on. Sometimes it's visible, sometimes it's invisible. But nonetheless, it's real, and it's going on, whether we like to admit it or not. And in our weakness, we can choose to reach out to the one that delivers us and lead us not in temptation means so much more in its context. It means there's a huge trial coming. A huge crisis is coming. It's coming for all of us. Could be soon, could be years from now. But do we ever hear that voice that's just inside of our head or screaming to us just saying to look at something or do something or, or say something that we know is just not right? Or maybe it's an irritating, never-ending whisper from the evil one that we're not good enough, that we're not smart enough. That we're, that we're ugly, that we don't measure up, that to have one more drink or won't pop one more pill, or that nobody cares about us, that we're worthless, or that life is just not worth living, or if it's just too difficult, the evil one, he wants to frustrate us. He wants to mess with us. He wants to distract us. He wants to trick us away from God and others. We are praying for God to protect us from evil. In our weakness, we can choose to reach out to the one that delivers us. Father, don't let us face temptation and trials until you've given us what we need to face it. When we rely on his strength 
during difficult times and strengthen others during their difficult times, that's when we bring what's up there down here. I challenge us as a church and individually not only to pray, but do and be the Lord's Prayer. There is power and action in these words. Can we as a church commit to praying this every day? But can we? Okay, would you shake your heads if you're, or no, don't, no, no, because maybe you're like, no, I'm not ready for that. But I hope that we all are. Hopefully it's our first thoughts in the morning when we wake up or when we're eating or when we're falling asleep or just going throughout the day or we have somebody, they do something to us that we can keep these verses, keep this prayer on our hearts and in our minds. We gotta keep that communication open with God throughout the day. Every day we have the power to advance our kingdom or God's kingdom. We can either bring a piece of heaven or hell to earth. By praying this every day, we are training. We are training our hearts and our minds to focus on and to do what truly matters to God. I should have trained for that 19-mile hike. I should have trained, but I didn't, and I paid for it, and it almost killed me. If I was better prepared, I would have done better, and I would have enjoyed it more. This prayer gives us the training we need to live a full and complete life in communion with God and others. And in so doing, it helps us bring what's up there down here. Remember, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all connected through our Father. We need to trust God. We need each other. We are part of something much bigger than ourselves. God is in control. Forgive well, be generous, and strengthen one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for this prayer. Thank you for your life-giving word. Help us, Father God, not only say the Lord's Prayer each and every day, but to live out the Lord's Prayer. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us on the cross. Thank you for using West Bowles to make an impact for your kingdom. Continue to use each and every single one of us for your purpose. Help us to love others the way you love us. God, help us to bring what's up there down here. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.